This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we describe the experience in Ottawa because I went wandering around. I literally did. The videos are at shifthands.ca. You can see for yourself. What does it look like? How did it feel? And what is the picture from Sunday of the protests in Ottawa? Marijuana, pretty impressive plant. I think we're starting to realize that and finally accept it. Marijuana policy expert Opie Sidhu tells us about the incredible reaction strains and cells that make up all the parts of the plant. And that can help us out. Um, CBD, CBG, THC, all of these acronyms, we don't know what they mean, so we get some help with it. If you're curious, you're going to love it. Plus, are you okay with protesting at schools over chocolate milk? This is the Shift Podcast. Thank you very much for listening to The Shift. I watched on the CBC today a report that said the uh, the trucker protest in Ottawa going on its 10th day, eight days after it started. Now, maybe they're counting from Thursday because that's when people sort of started strolling in. And on Friday, when trucks from Quebec in the east and Ottawa started sort of parking their cars downtown, I don't know. I received so many messages telling me that I should watch this on Facebook and follow this YouTube account, and I appreciate your consideration. I understand all you're trying to do is give me, provide me a little bit of insight. Uh, I wish I had time to check out everything. I'm not an investigative reporter. That's not my job here. My job here is not to go and be the guy on the street who's getting all the inside info. Um, my job is to understand what we're all going through as it happens. So thank you for all of that. I think some people have tried to correct me and tell me that I was wrong and all of that. I I spend a fair bit of time here in Ottawa. I'm broadcasting from Ottawa right now. Right, right now you're hearing me on this microphone from Riverside South, which is about 25 minutes south of downtown Ottawa, just past the airport. In fact, it's probably five minutes from Ryan's dad's place over in Barhaven. So... When people try to tell me what's going on in Ottawa, I, I always say thank you. I do have family and friends here. Here's what I wanted you to know. Um, this trip was not timed because of the convoy that arrived in Ottawa. It wasn't. It was timed because of my personal life and the ability to make it happen. Coming to Ottawa um, is a chance to relax and spend time with friends and family. And I will tell you this. For the people that have watched uh, on TV all of the news about the convoy in Ottawa, arriving in Ottawa, and some of the reports are wildly inflamed, and some of them are very, very pragmatic look at what's happening here, and some of them are from a very tight lens and some from a very broad lens. There was one video that was sent to me. uh, It was a Facebook link to a guy who had gone live on Facebook, and he was sharing to the world that, all they're saying on the media is that they're honking the horns and keeping everybody up at night. Well, the reality is is that they are honking the horns. In the video of this guy who was claiming that nobody was honking their horns was incessant horn honking. Literally incessant horn honking nonstop for the entire video. I found that interesting. Now, as we go and we look at what is happening in Ottawa... That's why we had a guest on, and you can check our podcast from a few days ago last week, what is a protest? And what is a protest will help us understand what is happening inside this protest. 
I skated down the Rideau Canal, and at the end of the Rideau Canal, right before it turns into the locks, they have it blocked off, and that's where the skating ends, and we put our shoes on, and we went for a walk downtown. And I wanted to share for you my walk downtown today and where we um, where we went. So when you get off the Rideau Canal, you get on Colonel By Drive. Colonel By Drive kind of goes northwest and walks towards the east end of the Parliament Grounds. It's the Fairmont Chateau Laurier, and it takes you to the uh, the market, which is so important, right? The Byward Market. It's one of those real touristy spots, good pubs. And as we walked from Colonel By, as we got off the Rideau Canal, we could already hear the bass from the speakers from music for probably five or ten minutes. So I'm going to say skating from about a kilometer and a half away, we could hear the bass. Got on Colonel By Drive, the very first thing I saw was trucks pulled over on the side of the road, blocking exit lanes, ramps, and parked there. It looked like nobody had been in those trucks. It looked like nobody had been in those trucks for days and days and days. There were some police cars. The very first thing I saw was a guy on a social media live uh, selling his opinion to the world. So about half a block down is the corner of Rideau and Colonel By Drive which was completely blocked. The intersection was completely blocked with big trucks, little trucks. There was a car that was on blocks with the hood open. It looked like something out of a, I don't know, Terminator movie. And it was just right there in the middle of the road. Someone had put it on blocks. And this is about a minute of audio of what I heard at this intersection. I'll explain what I saw uh, coming up after we play the clip. All right, so I don't even know if you can hear me right now. But I'm downtown by the corner of uh, Rito and Colonel Bai. It's a massive stereo. So for anybody that tells me there's no horn talking, I can tell you otherwise. I don't know if you can read that backwards. Epstein didn't kill himself, it says. <laughs> Latino music, I find ironic. So what I'm offering here is simply what I observed. I walked onto the street, and yes, there was a guy standing there at that intersection with a sign that said Epstein didn't kill himself. That is how wild some of the posters are. That was a trailer filled with speakers in the middle of the intersection, pounding out very good music, by the way, uh, through the course of the day. And the reason why I say Latino music, I find that ironic, is for everybody that has accused people uh, down there um, of only being white supremacists and racists. Because there was a party on the corner of Colonel Bayanrito on Sunday. And it was a dance party filled in the entire intersection of people dancing. All of the flags were Canadian flags, F. Trudeau flags in this area. And there was one guy that I really admired. He was in a truck with no sleeper cab, like a rig, with no sleeper cab. He was very, very bushy in the face. Looked like he had wasn't very well slept. Everyone else has sleeper cabs in the big trucks. The That area was just absolutely jubilant. In fact, it felt an awful lot like Canada Day in Ottawa. It was fun. 
Everybody was having a good time. It was more party than protest. If it hadn't been a bunch of flags there, you would have thought it was a party in the streets. Everybody that I talked to, I said hi to some random people, was friendly and kind. How are you? Nobody asked, why are you here? Nobody said, are you for the convoy or against the convoy? Everybody was friendly. And in that intersection, I watched a guy get out of his truck with a handheld snow shovel. It was snowing lightly. And it was that the snow was that slimy snow, right? That real slimy, grimy, slippery slush snow. And that guy was shoveling the sidewalk and shoveling the crosswalk in the intersection of Colonel By and Rito by hand so nobody slipped and fell in front of his truck. Now, from there, I continued to walk down the road to where I saw a pickup truck filled with diesel jerry cans. And they were unloading those and trying to take them in. And I don't know if someone was selling it. It looked like someone was trying to sell them. And there was a bunch of police cars there. I also read through the day today that with the state of emergency, they would be arresting people who were doing that. I don't know if that was before or after. Then there was a couple of blocks of nothing, just absolutely nothing. Police cars with everything blocked off. We walked, we went to the pub in Byward Market. Police officer stopped, had a friendly conversation with us. I'm pretty sure he was just uh, checking to see if everyone was a protester or not. But he was very friendly. We had a beer. We finished that. We walked around Chateau Laurier. Um, right in between over top of the Rideau Canal is sort of Chateau Laurier on one side and then Parliament Hills on the other side. And then we went further down the road. And um, we started to walk right in front of Parliament. And Wellington Street is where the road that goes right in front of Parliament at that point. And as we walked in front, I want you to know that the National War Memorial, that entire block, had no trucks in front of it. Nothing. Uh, there was a very kind gentleman with a heavy French accent that was saving me and saving my soul. Thank you, baby Jesus. Um, and he was very well prepared with very loud speakers and lots of pamphlets. And he was preaching on the street in the middle of the, uh, the middle of the street, right in front of the War Memorial and just trying to save everybody's soul. We walked further down Wellington Street and got to literally right in the middle, and the courtyard in front of Parliament was still open. Uh, Parliament itself was blocked off, but you could still go, and there were some people milling about on the courtyard, protesting, carrying signs, and whatever. Most of the signs that I saw are Canadian flags, Quebec flags in this area, and very few F. Trudeau flags. The amount of red Canadian flags and blue Quebec Canadian flags is probably two to one Canadian to Quebec. I was shocked to see how many people were carrying Quebec flags in and around there. This was jammed full of trucks. And as we got to right in the center of Wellington Street, right in front of Parliament, there's a big flatbed um, crane truck uh, with a stage set up and somebody speaking and sharing, surrounded by all these trucks with a crowd in front. And this is what it sounded like.
call me your jewels. I'm a local singer-songwriter here. I'm about to play some songs for you guys. I want to get you guys dancing. I want to get you guys moving. Well, Mr. Jewel's microphone or guitar or something didn't work, so they didn't play music for a long time, so I started to make my way. They had a technical breakdown. There was one guy in that that you could hear his voice was clearly no accent Canadian English. I will tell you this, and again, this is observation only. Every single person I talked to, every single person that I heard on a microphone, with the exception of that one guy on that stage, had a very heavy French accent. I found that interesting. So we continued back down Wellington Street on our way back to the canal. And when this microphone failed and they had these technical problems waiting for the band, which sounded more like a nightclub, you know, <laughs> boosting the fans than anything else, um, the trucks started revving their engines and running their retarder brakes. So the engine retarder brakes are the ones that you hear when the truck's going down the hill on the highway, like blah, 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 really loud, right? While the trucks were just revving their engines and letting the retarder brakes slow them down. It was so loud. And the horns continued. There was truck horns. There was uh, at least one truck that had a train horn on it. There was some car horns, some little meep, meep, which was funny. And there was uh, a lot of, the, if you've ever gone to a CFL game and you hear the those air horns that people use with their mouth, that's really what it sounded and looked more like than anything else. And there was an air raid siren. Someone had one of those crank it up air raid sirens that was there as well. It was incredibly loud in downtown Ottawa on Sunday. Incredibly loud. We continued our walk. At no time did I feel scared. At no time did I feel threatened. At no time was it um, was it scary. Everybody was friendly. Nobody asked why you were there. Nobody cared. People walked by you. There was a couple that was meandering slowly, and it was, excuse me, and they just let us by, and there's, you know, other people walking around, and everybody was polite, having their own conversations and going. And that was my experience of downtown Ottawa today. I will tell you this, though. While the protest that is happening on the back of that truck sounds like a protest, and while the protest that's handing at the uh, hand, uh, running at the intersection of Colonel By sounds like a dance party and a protest, what it looks like in Ottawa is not a protest. It's an occupation. I will tell you that clearly. It is an occupation that was very interesting to walk through today and observe. If you'd like to see what I saw, I have those two videos plus a couple of pictures that I took. They will be up at shiftheads.ca, the Facebook group. And um, you can go and observe those. And yes, the comments will be turned off on those because um, it's not for us to debate. It's just for us to see. No opinion, pragmatic look. And that was downtown Ottawa. What does this look like from outside of Canada? What is the rest of the world saying about us? Well, we have a clip for you out of a station based in India with their report on what's going on in Ottawa. All right, so let's, uh, this is a WION, uh, which, which is an interesting thing. They're based in India. Um, the World is One News is is their, their channel. So this is a report from WION, World is One News, a multi-language uh, news channel headquartered in New Delhi, doing a report about Ottawa. Let's, uh, by the way, this is unedited with the, except for the fact that there's actually a couple of, uh, phrases used by this, um, host lady that I wasn't comfortable with. Uh, they had, uh, race undertones in them. So we took those out. 
But aside from that, uh, this is uh, the first half unedited. Let's hit it. He would be in his Ottawa office on Mondays. Today he wasn't. He and his family were moved to an undisclosed location. In other words, he fled. Do you know why? Because the white knight of democracy could not handle a protest. Let me show you what's happening in Ottawa. The streets have been taken over by protesters. We're talking about thousands of them, mostly truckers. They're calling it the Freedom Convoy. Some of them are carrying banners denouncing Trudeau. Some of them drove in on their massive trucks. Some of them are not even truckers. They're ordinary residents of Ottawa. But all of them are protesting the same thing, vaccine mandates. You see, Canada has imposed a new rule for entering the U.S. To cross the border, you must be vaccinated. No jab, no travel. But Canadian truckers are not impressed. Some of them are anti-vax. They do not want to get the vaccine. So what did they do? Well, they're truckers. They did what they do best. They hit the roads. Some of them have blocked the major highways linking to the U.S. Others drove into Ottawa to clog the capital. Now, let me make one thing clear. We do not endorse this protest. We do not approve of this cause. By not getting jabbed, these truckers are putting themselves in danger. Having said that, what is Justin Trudeau up to? He's the Prime Minister of Canada. His job is to create consensus. If truckers are resisting him, he must reach out to them. Instead, Trudeau fled. Is he in a war bunker? Is he getting a haircut? Is he rethinking the vaccine mandate? Nobody knows. What do you think Trudeau should have done instead? Well, why don't we ask the man himself? Meet Justin Trudeau from December 2020. Around the time when farmers were protesting in India, that Trudeau was full of ideas, how to reach out, how to handle the protests, how to broker peace. He was passionate and proactive in offering advice. Let me quote what he said about India. The situation, he said, is concerning. We are all very worried about family and friends. Let me remind you, Canada will always be there to defend the rights of peaceful protesters. We believe in the process of dialogue. We've reached out through multiple means to the Indian authorities to highlight our concerns. If only we could get this message to Trudeau's secret cubbyhole. I'm not saying the situation in Ottawa is not challenging. The protests, the protests are certainly daunting, but there hasn't been violence. So far, the protests have been peaceful. So why hasn't Prime Minister Trudeau reached out to the protesters? Where is the process of dialogue? Actually, forget dialogue. Why not release a statement or at least a tweet? It's not like Trudeau got logged out of the Internet. So that is the story from World is One News from New Delhi. The look from outside in on what is happening in Canada from late last week. Uh, the report continues. Here's something he retweeted today. He's celebrating a football victory. Canada's men's football team beat the Americans. I'm sure it's a big deal for Canada. But is it more important than these pictures? Thousands of truckers camping in the national capital. Temperature minus 20 degrees Celsius. Trudeau may disagree with their views. So do we. But his response is two-faced. When the protests happen in India, it's the government's fault. The cops are tyrants. The ministers are unresponsive. But when the protests happen in Canada, the narrative changes. Guess what Trudeau calls these truckers? A small fringe minority holding unacceptable views. His words. Well, that's precisely what the Indian government also said, that the farmer protests were being organized by a minority. The similarities don't end there. Like all protests, this one too needs financial support. So where is that money coming from? Online campaigns. Around 33% of the donors are anonymous. No names, no address. Canada's intelligence agencies say they suspect a foreign hand. They say the truckers could be getting money from abroad. Again, that's precisely what happened in India. Khalistani elements 
penetrated the protests. Funds were flowing in from abroad, some said. But in 2020, Trudeau did not care. He wanted to protect his vote bank in Canada. So he dived into the internal affairs of a sovereign country. Today, when he faces a similar situation, he flees. He pretends like nothing is happening and the Canadian media is playing along. Here's what the CBC is reporting, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, CBC. After two days of protests, Ottawa residents are feeling the effects. Some workers and volunteers say they're worried about safety. Does this sound familiar to you? The same thing happened during the farmers' protest in India. Major highways were blocked. On Republic Day, New Delhi was overrun by tractors. But criticizing that was apparently insensitive. If you condemn that, you are muzzling democracy. I guess it only applies to New Delhi, not to Ottawa or Vancouver or Montreal. I'm not saying Trudeau should surrender to these anti-vaxxers. I'm saying he should stick by his own words. He should reach out to them. What if the protesters resort to violence? What if they disrupt daily life? Even then, Trudeau must follow his own words, talks and dialogue. Remember, that's what he asked India to do. People here could not take the highway anymore. Normal life was being disrupted. Only then did authorities intervene. But back then, Justin Trudeau lectured the government of India on how to handle the farmers. This whole controversy is a lesson for all self-righteous leaders out there. Stop meddling in the affairs of other countries. And if you do, if you do, make sure you hold yourself to the same standard. If not, you're just a hypocrite. Way we here or not. That is World is One News report from late last week out of New Delhi, an English news group that focuses on multinational, international news. That is how that particular news channel and New Delhi is looking at Canada and striking similarity in the conversation about the farmers, which we talked about on this show, and what is going on in Ottawa. Very clear. Very, very clear. This is the Shift Podcast. Now, Ryan O'Donnell is here. I'm Shane Hewitt. Thank you for listening to The Shift. We were inspired by Ryan's recreational activities to ask questions of a guy named Opie. Now, Opie um, is a marijuana expert. Now, typically, when you hear marijuana expert, you would think, you know, he parties on the weekends. No, no, there's people that make careers, and maybe he does that. I don't care. But there are people here that actually learn about the product and study the economics of it study the policy behind it and he's incredibly good at this opie how are you buds great to see you hey shane good to be back thanks so much for having oh it's great it's great to see you now ryan has tried to explain to me about this topic and i don't think ryan is i mean he did a good job but he wanted to talk about all the different pieces of the marijuana plant and what new things are being found because there's some new you have to understand i'm not a pot guy right like it's not my thing anything marijuana i'm interested in cbd for my joints for sure but i i'm not um i i haven't been involved in it at all so assume i'm starting from less than zero op and help me understand what's starting to change as we learn more about the marijuana plant and the different kinds yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think where we should start off our conversation is kind of building on what we what we talked about before is that, again, cannabis is, is the sum of all of its small parts. And we really have to understand the small parts to understand uh, the final result or the, the user experience. And what, that, what uh, those small parts consist of uh, in the plant are these chemicals um, 
some of them we know a lot about. Some of them uh, we may have never heard about, but there is some research on them as well. Uh, and mainly what I'm talking about is, uh, is cannabinoids and uh, terpenes and flavonoids. And so cannabinoids, again, those are uh, chemicals such as CBD and THC. Uh, terpenes, you know, and, and cannabinoids are talked a, a lot about in the media, and uh, they're basically a, a mainstream um, uh, uh, vocabulary that uh, people are aware of. But something that people that aren't that aware of are, are something called terpenes, and to a lesser extent, flavonoids. Uh, terpenes, just to you know, talk about them in plain English, uh, they, they're basically the compounds that give uh, cannabis its smell, and uh, flavonoids are the compounds that give cannabis its taste. But going beyond that, uh, to make it put it in more perspective, terpenes are actually just essential oils. Uh, so the important thing about that is not only are they heavily found in, in cannabis, they usually compose about uh, anywhere from 1% to 5% of the plant material, uh, whereas uh, cannabinoids, especially THC, can range anywhere from 03 to 30%, especially in the heavy uh, marijuana strains that are uh, very potent. Uh, but uh, going back to the, uh, the terpenes, uh, not only are they found in ca- the cannabis plant, they're actually found in uh, uh, many other plants in nature. Uh, some of them you might be aware of, some of them you may not be aware of. But the interaction of the cannabinoids and the and the uh, and the terpenes, uh, that's something called the entourage effect. And they work sometimes they work synergistically with one another, and sometimes they negate or buffer one another, um, depending on uh, what the combination is. And it's those combinations that make up different strain profiles, and that can really, uh, lead to different results. So that's the word, by the way, that Ryan was trying to pronounce earlier. So, so this is this is what's going on. You hear what's going on? Opie knows his stuff, and Ryan and I are trying to pronounce cannabinoids. Like, and I, but I I say that uh, you know it's fun, and but I say that because that matters to everybody who's listening. Look, if you're like me, and if you're going cannabahu, right? Like that's okay. But if you're like Opie and you like to know all these inner workings of all the things also okay it's legal in canada economically it's viable in canada and so it's going to be around and whether you're a parent or a grandparent or you're interested in yourself or you have friends who like to partake or whether it's for medicine or for recreation we're going to be better off if we get this right like it truly is and um and this is why it really really matters now ryan what was the part that you were talking about was was it a new part because I'm totally naive. I'm just calling it what it is. Yeah, so. me too. From my understanding, it, it was CBG, which is yep. not, necess- not, ser- not necessarily new, but it's it was so rare, now we can yeah. make it more? Is that the way it works? Yeah, so uh, what is CBG then, and, and, I, yeah. and is it a thing, and, and, and what's going on? Oh, I'm glad you guys brought that up, because CBG is probably my favorite cannabinoid. Uh, it's it's basically the uh, what I call the the stem cell or the mother cannabinoid of all cannabinoids, meaning that uh, an immature plant in its early stages will produce a lot of CBG, and that's cannabinogerol. And what that will do, in terms of it being a stem cell, is that CBG is the precursor of all other cannabinoids. So uh, in certain strains, CBG either turns into CBD or turns into uh, THC. And therefore, by the at the mature state, when we harvest the plant, most strains uh, have only micro trace amounts of that CBG left because now it's evolved into either THC 
or CBD. But going back to CBG, it's uh, uh, it's actually heavily found in hemp strains. So that now they've selectively bred certain strains to have more amounts of it. Uh, it is actually uh, recognized as a microcannabinoid, meaning that in most uh, mature plants, you only find trace amounts of it. But that's actually where the heavy medicinal uh, properties really lie, even more so than CBD. There's just a little bit less research that's been done on it. And the big research that actually came out of Canada last year was uh, showing, uh, I believe it was the University of McMaster, uh, showing that uh, CBG, uh, when it was tested, not only in uh, Petri dishes, but also on lab mice, was able to kill MRSA uh, bacteria, making it a very potent uh, antibiotic and, uh, to some extent, antiviral um, uh, uh, cannabinoid. And that's that's a really big deal because... Uh, we have about 500,000 infections uh, of of, the, of those bacteria that are antibiotic resistant in the U.S. And about 50,000 people die from that. Uh, so that's and we're actually running out of antibiotics in terms of more bacteria becoming um, uh, basically uh, antibiotic resistant. And in this study, it showed, especially with E. coli, not only did it wipe the E. coli out of the mice uh, within about an hour but it also made sure that the infections didn't come back, meaning that it continued to kill uh, the infection even after the original uh, infection was eliminated. Uh, so that's, that's really exciting, and that, that's, uh, that's Canadian research that was uh, uh, coming out of Canadian universities uh, funded by uh, Health Canada. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. And just building on that, there's actually a really big study that came out of uh, uh, Oregon State University about two weeks ago uh, that actually looked at CBG and CBD, uh, especially their acidic versions. And uh, there's actually quite promising uh, research now coming out showing that uh, that um, uh, what they what they found was that when they tested uh, CBG and CBD uh, with the COVID virus in petri dishes with human cells, they found that the human cells became more resistant uh, of of COVID not actually infecting the cell. And the way that it does that is that it actually binds to the spike protein, I'm sure you guys have heard of that term being thrown around of the COVID, it'll bind yep. to that spoke protein so that it can't basically, um, uh, so if you think about the lock and key, uh, the spike protein will wants to go into this uh, something called the ACE2 receptor in the cell. And once that happens, uh, then the virus can basically enter the cell and start making replications of itself. But since CBD and CBG attach to the spike protein, it can actually attach to the ACE2 receptor, making the cells more resistant to infection. And uh, so that's that's pretty promising. Again, that's uh, that's only done in vitro in petri dishes, but again with human uh, human cells. So there's a lot of uh, promising research coming out of that. So you know what I take from that? Um, <laughs> aside from the look of surprise and awe on Ryan's face, <laughs> is that this CBG is basically the veal of marijuana. That's what I take from it. Veal uh, as in baby cow, or yeah, yeah as the meat. <laughs> oh, the meat. Yes, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Baby cow. And, uh... Baby cow sounds way more harsh than what I was saying. Opie, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, you're accurate, but still, like, <laughs> I was trying to no, be gentle with it. Oh, absolutely, and uh, that's where a lot of, uh, you know, again, it can be used recreationally. Going back to the terpenes. Uh, you can make it sedative or, or stimulate, uh, make it stimulating depending on what terpenes are in combination with uh, CBG or other cannabinoids. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's 
it's it's really interesting, and, and there's a lot of other Canadian research um, on on CBG. Uh, I know University of uh, Lethbridge came out with uh, some really interesting studies um, about a year and a half ago. And I feel like the the you know, the study that came out of um, McMaster and also the University of Waterloo uh, are kind of building on that original study that came out of University of Lethbridge, and then now the U.S. is also. Uh, doing similar studies like the one that I mentioned out of uh, Oregon State University. So, uh, you know, it might be that silver bullet that we need. It might not be the vaccine, but in terms of, um, you know, another tool in the toolbox, uh, it might uh, definitely ward off some infections, whether that's MRSA or or other types of infections. Well, and what a great, if it it becomes something that that works, um, what a great holistic solution to contribute. Maybe it's not as you know, direct or fast as the vaccines, which we often see with um, holistic solutions in general, you know, but for some people who aren't big on medicine so much, then this might be one of those, one of those cool things that becomes an option in so many different ways. So CBD, CBG, um, TNT, you know, (laughs) CSI, you know, we've got, we got all kinds of FBI, we got all kinds of stuff going on here. So how is the, how does the normal person, Opie, really get into this? Because, this seems incredibly complicated. I know that the you know yeah. the proper answer in today's world is well go and see one of your you know what do you call them baristas the budistas or something like what do you call them uh, yeah um, a, a bud tender <laughs> a bud tender I thought yeah, budista right. was pretty good but um, the uh, so you go see a, a bud tender and they're supposed to be able to uh, educate you on what's available in the store right do it legally and whatever and I know that you know in my family I have some family members to respect their privacy I won't say who but that have gone in and gone the CBD route, but not the THC route in the gummies and, and whatever. But I find it daunting, man. How do we like it's it's a lot of acronyms and it's a lot of yeah. stuff. I mean, if I know that I want to have a numb face, I'll drink mm. rum. And I know yeah. that if I just want to have, uh, you know, great flavor that's really, really rich, uh, rich, that feels good. I'll have a whiskey like an Irish whiskey. You know, mm. if I want to have a good time, I'll drink cider. So, I mean, I know that. Um, yep. That's experience. I mean, I would like to call myself an expert in all this, but when it comes to the marijuana, man, like it's, it's not easy. Yeah, I think the way to make it relative and make it a little bit simpler is is kind of staying away from um, looking at THC and CBD in terms of um, predicting the end result, and I think that's where the terpenes are a little bit more important. The, and also a little bit more relative, because again, cause again the, if you know aromatherapy, you're aware of a lot of these of these terpenes, which again are just essential oils. So again, let me just give you an example. There's one uh, terpene called lemonine, which is found in uh, the uh, the skin of uh, citrus fruits. Uh, there's another one called pinene, which is found in basically pine needles, uh, and those are very stimulating um, uh, terpenes. So if there's a high amounts of the lemonine or the pinene. Um, uh, you're going to feel a more stimulatory waking effect. And uh, kind of going beyond that, pinene is actually shown to uh, cancel out uh, THC similar to CBD. So again, if you have a lot of CBD and THC, or sorry, pinene and CBD in there, it's going to be stimulatory and non-psychoactive, especially if there's a lot of uh, not very much um, uh, THC. But then on the other side, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, there's uh, essential oils or terpenes uh, uh, that are sedative, and those ones are uh, by the name of myrcene, which is found in mangoes, and it's also found uh, heavily in hops. Um, so again, if if you can recall the last time you ate a mango and you you feel that nice relaxing feeling after, that's 
that's the mercy. Or after taking a nice gulp of beer and you feel that it's not the alcohol, but you feel that relaxation, it's most likely the mercine taking effect. And that's actually the most prominent uh, essential oil or terpene found in cannabis. Uh, it's usually found in about uh, 50% of the, of the strains and being the dominant uh, terpene. And uh, kind of going back to that on the more sedative side, uh, there's one called Lionel, which is found in lavenders. And if you're, if you're aware of aromatherapy, people know that's kind of the, the relax, yeah. relaxing and calming um, uh, essential oil. And again, if you see Lionel in uh, cannabis strains, you're going to be on the more sedative, relaxed side versus the pioneer nor the lemony. And uh, yeah, there's see. another cool one, which I really like. It's called Caryophily, and that's found in uh, black peppers. And that actually, again... Um, is very similar to pine, you know, actually cancel out the effects of THC. Uh, but instead of being stimulatory like pining, it's actually more sedative like mercy. Uh, but again, um, one thing that I should warn people about mercy is that not as is it more sedative, it actually makes THC more bioavailable. So, what, you know, huh. it's kind of, you just got to add everything up and see which terpenes and which cannabinoids favor a certain outcome and kind of just add up all the, you know, the, the minuses and the pluses and see where you're going to get at. And that'll kind of give you a general idea of what you're going to feel. So that's interesting. I would never have made the connection between those who use essential oils and some of the same ingredients that are in there. This really does get down to such a low level of the conversation to understand for somebody who say likes lavender in a, in a proper essential oil in their house they're seeing some of the same molecular benefits that they would see with these different um, pieces as well. Opie is uh, an expert in policy economics and everything to do with marijuana. I learned about marijuana from Snoop Dogg and Stems and Sticks. So um, we need to learn more about this. I'm curious to learn more about this. I love the medicinal part. I love the general economics of hemp and what hemp is good for. Um, and the CBD part was a guy that's got struggles with some joint stuff. Very interesting to me. Opie, thanks so much for your insight, bud. Thanks for being here. Absolutely. We will continue this conversation. In fact, I think we're going to rebook it right away so we can tell all the shift heads listening when you'll be back. And so we can literally bring it, Opie, next time right into specific people's lives and benefits that they might see. Like if it's if you have the joints or whatever or the slow tummy and you got the constipation or whatever, there are all kinds of products uh, that can help people get that stuff moving that are natural too. Uh, Opie, we'll see you soon, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Shane. Take care. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with? Thank you. <laughs> are you okay with soup kitchens? Um, yeah, I've only ever volunteered once at like, at a, at like a, a shelter kind of handing out food. And, uh, it was very, it was great. It was very re rewarding, amazing people running it. Um, a fantastic experience. I was given a tour of a YWCA once, yeah. which men don't get tours of. And uh, that was remarkable. So what they did was, is they, they had asked everybody who was there, hey, there is uh, someone coming through. Is there any cause or concern? Because, you know, in a lot of cases, some cases why people are at the YWCA is because of something going on in their personal relationship. 
and uh, with a man. And so um, that was amazing. It was so incredibly eye-opening. Let me ask you this question, Ryan. If you had all the funds, you're financially stable and secure, no problem at all, what would you, what charity kind of thing do you think you would do? Hmm. I would love to, I don't know, work to do, to brighten someone's day, I think, whether that's via food or just kind of outreach, uh, that kind of thing, I think would be really, I, w- I wish I could give my time to that and have those conversations um, with people. I like but uh, I, yeah, I, I do hope someday that uh, it's much easier to give some time for that because it is such a rewarding and eye-opening experience. Yeah, experience would be cool. But this soup right. kitchen thing, like the basics of food would be pretty awesome. Um, mm-hmm. That'd be a pretty great way to go. We've heard a lot about soup kitchens lately. I mean, you'd think that a soup kitchen would want to feed as many people as possible, really, regardless. And we hear that about different church groups and temple groups that, you know, the whole core of that faith community is to make sure that nobody goes without. And there are all kinds of different, you know, churches and temples that you can literally go any day, no matter what your faith is. If you're hungry, they will feed you. The pub I was at in Ottawa today, homeless guy comes in, they gave him a bun and a bowl of soup. And I said, you must see some real characters. Eh? He said, well, it's later in the day. It's getting cold outside. And, you know, we have some leftover soup, so we have no problem. And, uh, you know, they basically said, look, we'd make them eat it outside if it was busy. But it's not busy today, so we can sit inside. I think it's a pretty honest approach. Soup kitchens right. can provide food for the homeless and do some amazing things for the community. So it seems a little bit strange, right? If anybody would want to limit how many times you could feed the homeless. And yet, uh, policymakers doing what they do, here we are. How do you how do you tell a church that they can't feed people? Isn't that what churches are supposed to do? I that in our diocese, in the Episcopal Diocese of Oregon, our churches feed people. So we are circling back to that interview from a story that we aired in October. A city on Oregon's coast basically ordered a church to feed the homeless less. St. Timothy's Episcopal Church was handing out food six days a week, and the Brookings City Council passed an ordinance demanding churches in residential areas serve food no more than two days per week. Okay. Oh, man. So, less free stuff for the hungry people. The reason the city put in the ordinance, ordinance, people living near the church took notice of an increased trespassing and crime. They submitted a letter signed by more than two dozen neighbors to city council, and now the church is fighting back. The church is even demanding a jury trial via this complaint. This is happening now, by the way, Father Bernie Lindley says, because the ordinance went into effect last week, specifically on January 26th. And that was a Wednesday. Uh, we feed Friday through Monday. So on Friday, we were in violation of that city ordinance because we did not have the permit that they were requiring. So we served uh, something like 120 slices of pizza to uh, people who were hungry. We, we violated the law by feeding people pizza on Friday. And Friday was the day they sued. Nice. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. On top of declaring the ordinance invalid, the Episcopal Diocese of Oregon and St. Timothy's are also asking a federal uh, court in Oregon to bar any future attempt to enforce the ordinance against the church. I mean, I get it. I get the fact that if people are feeling like, you know, it's bringing in homeless folks who might be stealing stuff or, you know, sleeping in the yard or whatever. 
Um, but wouldn't that just be a conversation with the church? Like, yeah, is, it's, what can we do here for, you know, increased security, for encouragement? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems weird to me. It's very hypocritical because the whole, it's love thy neighbor. And this is basically yeah. like, love thy neighbor as long as they're not homeless. Like, Except that one. Come on, man. And yeah. I feel bad for the church. The church, because another thing that this church did was a lot of the churches in that town stopped doing meal handouts. And so they picked up the slack which is why they've now done five days a week. So now it's even harder to get a meal there and a city making that choice for some name, man, that's not going to help anybody. Well, let's call it for what it is. Most programs to end homelessness are most, uh, defer homelessness. They just move it. Mm-hmm. They move it to other places where people don't have to see it. Now they're, I don't diminish the actual organizations that are doing the real work, but most government programs are, you know, they're just yeah, deferring the problem. And that's why it has never been fixed. It's probably never going to be fixed. I mean, some people don't want to live in a, a house, right? Um, until you start dealing with mental illness and all those things, that's really going to have an impact. When this society realizes that we need to take care of the humans and our souls a little bit, I realize that's very hippy-dippy of me, but that's the way that, that works for me. Then that stuff's not going to change. And I get it. You don't want your stuff wrecked. I mean, say like... Say it like it is. You don't want some guy coming out in your backyard to, you know, have a cup of tea and there's a guy snuck in your backyard sleeping or peeing back there, right? Like that, nobody wants that. But there's got to be a way. Got to be a way. I'm Shane Hewitt. Ryan O'Donnell is here. Are you okay with chocolate milk? Oh, there no is way, something man. special about chocolate milk. You don't yeah, like chocolate good. milk? Well, no, I like it, but it's like, I think it's terrible. I think it's terrible that, terrible, I think it's terrible the uh, that they push chocolate milk as a substitute for milk when it's so full of sugar. That's oh, a dad yeah. view, 100% dad view. Does it taste good? Oh, it tastes amazing. But amazing. I think that to say that it's the same as milk, it's not. It's milk plus a mountain of sugar. I, I agree with you absolutely on that. But the thing, well, here's how chocolate milk happened to my family. If mom bought me, let's say, a carton of milk once a week because I drank a lot of milk as a kid once maybe every two months I would get a big two liter of chocolate milk or sometimes she'd just surprise me with a little thing of chocolate milk it was like a surprise it was a treat and as a treat as a substitute every now and then chocolate milk is amazing there's just the second it touches your tongue it's like you're eight years old going to school again it's just there's something so magical about that and i can't have it all the time for that reason it would ruin it for me if i had it too often tastes so good if you're the kind of person that believes that your kid should be drinking milk then and they won't drink milk then chocolate milk is probably a good alternative seven percent of americans think chocolate milk comes from brown cows did you know that i I didn't yeah yeah, Ryan taught me that. Um, but 100% of students at Vacayville Elementary School are fed up with their school taking away their most beloved drink. They are protesting after chocolate milk was res- removed from the menu. When do we want it? Now! Step by step, students left class to rally out front. Where everyone could hear their voices being heard. That's how we feel about it. We feel really strongly about it. We want to protest for it and bring it back. All of this to protest something every kid loves. What do we want? Chocolate milk! When do we want it? Now! Students say that delicious drink needs to come back to class. Back when we had chocolate milk when I was in fourth grade when there wasn't COVID, 
you would be lucky to get a spot to get some chocolate milk because it was all it would all be gone. Is it a good start? Is it a good start? The division's nutrition department says there's a reason why chocolate milk isn't in school. Chocolate milk, we have a lot of sugar in there, and you know, too much sugar. Is that really what our body needs? Okay, uh, very mm-hmm. good point. Very valid. Very good point. Uh, are they getting anywhere? These kids, I love hearing the kids protest, man. These it's kids incredible. need to learn to think for themselves, stand up for what they believe in, agree or disagree about the milk. Hearing them uh, take a stand is fantastic. Have the cries for the milk been heard? Eh, eh, maybe a little bit. But officials say they hear the students loud and clearly. I appreciate you being open to a start. And decided to do chocolate milk one day every other week. Chocolate milk! It's a lesson students won't soon forget. As of now, this is a really good start. And yes, chocolate milk might have some sugar, but students believe it does the body good. In Vacaville, Jason Marks, KCRA 3 News. See, I love that. That's a perfect solution. Why not do like chocolate milk Fridays? Yeah. If you made it to school all the days through the week, you can have chocolate milk, whatever, right? You know, it makes it a treat. Yeah, every second week seems a little harsh to me, but why not do like every, every Friday? Week right? Is very harsh. Yeah, very harsh. Um, but I think chocolate okay. milk Monday. See, mm. be like the shift. Um, that's a great idea, though. When I went to school, we didn't have energy drinks. I'm assuming Ryan, you had all kinds of energy drinks when you went to school. No, and energy drinks really like pop. Lots of pop, yeah, we have no pop. Drinks. We just went for Mountain Dew. If you want a caffeine hit, you went for Mountain Dew. That was it. We had unlimited pop. I mean, there was nothing healthy anywhere. Um, cafeteria was lots of times it was fries and gravy. That's what we got all the time for lunch. But was it like for you? Like, did they? Was it healthy? Because you're younger. So was it like? Uh, were they like weird. salads and rainbows with your lunch? In between generations. So when I was a kid, anything goes. Like I remember my high school, my first high school in Corpus Christi in Burlington. When I started there, uh, pop, normal pop, cookies, pizza, and healthy options for sure, whatever. And then halfway through grade nine, it switched. All the pop became Coke Zero and diet. Which is how I found out I'm allergic to aspartame was because oh. they switched and I ordered a Coke Zero sue the and had a reaction. So thanks, the healthy eating. And then right. my current high school or my current, mm-hmm. oof, my oh, second dear. high school, it was all, you know, uh, whole wheat pizza and fresca and it was no try to cut down. So there was no balance. Mm-hmm. It was try to push for healthy. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.